down women with diluted dreams of hope for joy has been washed down the street. I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. As a child, were you ever afraid that a monster was hiding under your bed or inside of your closet? Did you fear going to the basement alone, worried that a creature might be lurking down there? Throughout history, people young and old have been terrified by the boogeyman, and his origins can be traced back to the 1500s when he was described as a mischievous creature that lurked in the shadows at night. While others say that mythical beings were created by parents to deter misbehaving children. Monsters have been portrayed in books, folklore, movies, and histories from every single culture and have taken countless frightening forms, ranging from vampires with fanged teeth to animal-like creatures with long, sharp claws to ghosts who haunt both people and places. Even Mansfield, Ohio, faced an unnerving, monstrous scare amid the already tumultuous 1960s. During the last weekend of July in 1963, residents in the North End area of Walker Lake Road near the Richland County Fairgrounds reported seeing a creature that walked upright like a man, standing eight feet tall, with a head like a horse, and with bright glowing eyes. Word soon spread of what quickly became known as the Fairhaven Monster. Men began to arm themselves and search for the creature, causing local law enforcement to guard the region with an around-the-clock patrol. In the early morning hours of July 29th, Deputy Melvin Schweitzer spotted the beast crossing Walker Lake Road. He pulled his pistol and shouted, Hot! Immediately, the creature split in half and ran in opposite directions. Officer Schweitzer captured its bottom end and discovered a 16-year-old, Carrie Dean, and later located the monster's upper half, which belonged to 15-year-old Harley Rodabaugh. Both boys were severely lectured about the dangers of their prank and then taken home. Unfortunately, not all tales of monsters have a harmless ending. In the fall of 1981, Mansfield's North End was met with another hideous beast. Only this time, he was all too real, and the horror he inflicted did, and to this day does, strike a fear in the hearts and minds of his surviving victims. The date was October 30th, 1981, and the temperature was rather mild for late October. Some remaining leaves still held their fading shades of yellow, orange, and red, and painted a brilliant landscape that was somewhat picturesque, even for Prior Road. Sounds of children's laughter filled the air as they jumped into piles of crunchy slivers of fallen petals and anxiously awaited 
the next day's Halloween festivities and anticipated the ghastly ghouls they would meet while trick-or-treating. But for the four children of Shirley Carver, a gruesome creature was already at the door. Before we can sufficiently comprehend this moment, we need to go back to the beginning and retrace the steps that led to this fateful night. Like each of our previous victims, Shirley was not from Ohio. She, like Eliza, was born in the Eastern Appalachian area of Kentucky. And for folks in that region, opportunities were limited and times were uncertain. But in other parts of the country, optimism flourished. With the remnants of the Great Depression in their rearview mirror, many Americans were moving to the suburbs. The man of the house was the primary breadwinner, and the cost of a new home was about $8,500. The golden age of American capitalism had arrived. More importantly to America's young, the 1950s pop culture was exploding. In music, the new sound of rock and roll was sweeping the nation, as singers like Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, and Buddy Holly turned the music industry on its ear. With televisions becoming more affordable, middle-class families gathered around their sets and watched the hilarious antics of I Love Lucy, The Honeymooners, and Leave It to Beaver. And in Hollywood, Disney's Cinderella was released and young girls gleefully repeated the lyrics, a dream is a wish your heart makes when you are fast asleep. In financial news, the Diners Club credit card was introduced as the first purchase charging mechanism. And within a year, it grew to over 40,000 members. Covering the religious front from that period, on October 30th, 1950, at approximately 4 o'clock p.m., during a walk in the Vatican Gardens, Pope Pius XII arrived at the statue of Our Lady of Lourdes and observed the miracle of the sun, also called the miracle at Fatima. He witnessed the event for a second time on October 31st and then for the last time on November 1st. And while the Pope was witnessing that miracle in Rome, the miracle of Shirley Wallace's birth was being witnessed in Breathitt County, Kentucky. I reached out to Shirley's family in hopes of learning more about her early years and her life in general, but they declined my request for an interview. Therefore, the source of my information comes from former neighbors, newspapers, and other public records and that Shirley's mother, Reba, was born in Rowan County, Kentucky, just a stone's throw from Moorhead, we can assume that she had family in the area and stayed nearby, which led to Shirley being born about 70 miles to the south of her mom's birthplace. A mass northward migration had begun after World War II, and many Appalachian families left their homes in the hills and their jobs in the coal mines and headed for factory jobs in the north. During this time, Mansfield, Ohio, 
had developed into a manufacturing mecca, and men came in droves to find employment in places such as Westinghouse, which boasted a workforce of over 8,000 employees, General Motors' Fisher Body Plant, which further expanded the labor pool, and the local steel mill, which seemed to be the primary landing spot for most Southern job seekers. With so many interrelated families from Kentucky moving into the nearby neighborhood, it quickly became known as Little Kentucky, and it is still referred to in that manner today. As a kid, we often heard the phrase, Readin', Writin', and Route 23, and many joked about the overused path between Mansfield, Ohio, and Olive Hill, Kentucky. I remember a well-worn pathway that led from our back door directly to my grandpa's back door and imagined that was what they meant by this saying. And I felt so lucky having my family nearby and not having to travel a far distance to see them. Unlike many of my classmates who headed south nearly every Friday after school. I don't know if it was because of a job nearby relatives, or both, that brought her family to Ohio. But two years after Shirley's birth, her mom married a man from Richland County and spent the rest of her life in the area. Shirley's mother, Reba, married three times and gave birth to seven children, including a daughter who only lived to the age of eight months. Upon arrival in Mansfield, Reba found employment at the Independent Towel Company, and she and her third husband, Mac Dickinson, settled on a little Kentucky street called Pryor Road. Reba and Mac, who was 22 years her senior, had three children together, but Mac was a beloved father to all of the children. Although very reserved, he was well-respected by all who knew him. Reba, according to a former neighbor, was the disciplinarian and ruled the roost by most accounts. It was said that she was hardworking, minded her own business, and ran a tight ship. Her stern parenting skills led to her raising well-mannered and respectful children who were liked throughout the neighborhood but the one who stood out the most was Shirley Ann. With her doe eyes and dark hair, styled in a carefree pixie cut, Shirley caught the eye of many young men in the neighborhood. Yet her kind disposition and sweet personality prevented her from posing a threat to the local girls, and many of them considered her their friend. Betty Jo, a former childhood friend of Shirley's younger sister, said that Shirley often looked after the little ones and would let them sneak their friends into the house while their mother was working. I knew Shirley Wallace from the neighborhood, but she was best friends with my sister, Linda. And I can remember her making homemade potato chips for us kids. Usually they wasn't allowed to have any friends up, but she would sneak and let us come up while her mom was working. She was just a nice lady. I really thought a lot of her. As the years passed, 
Shirley's life was as typical as that of any other young girl in the impoverished little Kentucky neighborhood. Most households had numerous mouths to feed, and most houses were too small to provide adequate living space. In those days, being poor didn't seem to matter too much because every family was poor. And as a kid, one didn't worry about being fashionable or affording the finest furnishings. But when a girl becomes a young woman, her interests begin to change and things that once seemed trivial or frivolous begin to matter a lot. Around the time she turned 16, Shirley had become acquainted with a neighbor boy and was instantly quite smitten. She told a friend about her feelings for this young man with dark eyes and even darker hair and how he made her feel special. Soon, nearly everyone knew that the two were dating and her entire friend group served as an accomplice in keeping the relationship a secret, especially from Shirley's mom. But it's been said that people become secretive when they have secrets. And in the words of Buddha, three things cannot long stay hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth. And in Shirley's case, her truth began to reveal itself. Water down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. A fool's paradise hoping to be free found a new home in the cemetery. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered down women. With no help from above.